What's going on, everybody? Welcome to a Monday edition of Texans All Access. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter. So glad to be with you. We are going to catch up with Andre Ware and take a very quick two-minute trip through the NFL this weekend, a little bit later in the show. But there's news in the AFC South, and for that, I bring in my man, Mark Vandermeer. All right, Mark, some crazy news coming out of Indianapolis. Maybe not so much that Frank Reich was fired today, but what they did afterwards with Jeff Saturday, former center for Peyton Manning in the Colts, now stepping in as interim head coach. We do this on Monday sometimes because there's always crazy stuff happening over the weekend. Your gut reaction to what's happened in Indianapolis So today. many questions, Johnny. One question is, did Ursay call Peyton Manning and ask him if he wants to take it for the rest of the year? Oh, boy. That's what one. I want to know. Did I, that if happen? If he asked Saturday, I bet he started with Peyton. Was there anybody else other than Saturday who he considered for this? Reggie Wayne is coaching with them, right? Yeah. So he's, al- he's already there. And if I'm Reggie Wayne, I'm thinking, well, why didn't you ask me? You know, wasn't yeah. I as, as important as Saturday to this whole operation? But I guess he has his reasons, right? Yep. And doesn't it feel like an Ursay thing much more than a Chris Ballard? Oh, thing? this is an Ursay thing, absolutely. Yeah. I would, I would bet every dime I have that that was not an idea considered by Chris Ballard. Yeah. Not at all. No way, uh, Which, Ballard. Uh, let me go get a broadcaster. I right. mean, Jeff Saturday is a decorated player. I get it. He was right. an awesome center for Peyton Manning, but really. Yeah, I don't. That part of it is kind of mind blowing, but it's a Jim Mersey thing. This is not a Chris Ballard thing. And I know what's going to happen. And I'll stick up for Ballard on this one. I know what's going to happen. I know the media will be like, Chris Ballard made No, Chris Ballard did not make this decision. This is one of those where there is no debate. Who made this decision? This oh, yeah. was a Jim Irsay decision all the way. Well, Lovey's right, because uh, we talked to Lovey Smith about it, and he didn't say it directly, but he said when you fire a coach at this time of year, you know, maybe you think, well, you signed him up for the season, right? Right. right. And I feel that way. Look, this is the Colts, Johnny. You know how I feel about the Colts. Of course. I think it's well documented how I feel about the Colts. Of course. But even I'm sitting here thinking, why didn't you just let them finish it out? Is it that bad? Is there a mutiny? Are they not? That's the thing. Yeah, not mutiny, but of. have they given up on Reich? Has have the players just tuned him out? And maybe that's happened. Maybe that has definitely occurred. I don't know. But that's up to them to find to decide and find out and make a decision based on the information they get. And maybe maybe Ballard did know something and maybe they talked about it together. I don't know. We don't know what's happening behind closed doors there, but it is weird that it happened this early to me. I know they're not having a good season at all, but they don't have a quarterback. The Matt Ryan right. thing melted down very quickly, and now what are they supposed to do? Wouldn't Nick Foles have steadied the ship a little bit better? That's the one I'm trying to figure out. That's the one that is kind of doghead turn, like, wait, Nick Foles on the roster? Why didn't he get a shot? Had Ellinger come out and played, played like, Taylor Heineke or something, you'd say, all right, I get it. They knew about Ellinger. He was doing well in practice. Look, team, he was really performing well, and they figured give him a shot. Okay. But when they said he started the rest of the games, actually not but, and when they said he was starting the rest of the games, I thought, yeah, maybe it is that. Maybe they really feel like they've got a diamond in the rough, potentially, and they want to have a look at him, a long look. That's why they said he's getting the rest of the games instead of going out and getting another veteran or starting Nick Foles. Okay. You ready for this? I'm ready. I mean, 
playing box score here on this one is just awesome. Yep. So the Patriots played the Colts yesterday. Yep. Colts ran for 78 yards. Yeah, that's not them. Sam Elliott ran for 39 of those. That's really not them. So Deion Jackson's long run, five yards. Jordan Wilkins' long run, five yards. Phil Lindsay, two yards. And Paris Campbell had a run for a yard. They had two, 17 carries for 39 yards from their running backs mm. or non-quarterback. Sam Ellinger was si- sacked. Ferris Bueller, nine times. Yeah. Which, by the way, I got a text from my wife out in Los Angeles. Mm. She lives across, or they live, my daughter lives, where they're living right now. They live across from Cameron. From Ferris Bueller, Alan Ruck. Yes, yes. And guess who my wife met, had a long conversation with on Sunday? Aaron Ruck. Alan Ruck. Alan Ruck. Yeah, Alan Ruck. Did I say Aaron? Yeah, Yeah, I meant Alan. It It doesn't matter. Everyone knows him as Ferris's buddy who lost the car Mm -hmm. uh, through the window. And they know him from Succession, too. That show on HBO, which is a good show. Yep. So nine times Ellinger sacked. In fact, he was sacked a total of 60 yards. Now, I know... I know 60 yards goes on the passing total. The net. The net passing mm-hmm. total. So net passing yards, 43. Oh, the, see, that's the big problem. Even Matt Ryan in fifth, that game, I know the Patriots mm-hmm. are coming after him. Well, he's throwing picks. Matt Ryan's done. He's got to be done, right? Got to be. Got to be. Johnny, I don't think they'll put him back out so there. so bad for I, Frank Ryan? I don't know. So here are the receivers. Jordan Wilkins, four catches, 15 yards. Michael Pittman, three catches, 22 yards. Paris Campbell, two for 15. Deion Jackson, two for 13. Moali Cox, two for 13. Their long was Alec Pierce had one for 23. So they caught the ball 15 times, no one longer than 23. All right, so play general manager for me in the DeLorean right now. Let's go back to 2019, you ride out the season with Jacoby Brissett, right? Because you have to. Luck yeah, retires in the preseason. Mm-hmm. Preseason, you have no choice. You get through that campaign. Yep. Here you are. It's the 2020 offseason. I know it's the pandemic, but we were all at the combine together. What is your plan at quarterback if you're Mr. Indianapolis Colts GM, knowing what is about to happen? Yeah, you get Phillip Rivers for a year. Congratulations. But after that, it's shaky at best. You had three quarterbacks that are turning out to be very, very good in that draft. You had Burrow, Joe Burrow, you had Tua Tungabailoa, and you had Justin Herbert. Now, you would have had to have gotten into the top seven to do that. But what did the Colts do? The Colts traded that first-round pick in mm-hmm. 2020. Mm-hmm. They got DeForest Buckner back in that trade, but yeah. they were sitting at number 13. It probably would have behooved them to package that and maybe the next year's one and move up and go get one of those three guys. Because could you imagine Tua, Burrow, or Herbert in Indianapolis? Mm, I don't want to. I don't I want to especially I don't either. Herbert. Oh, my gosh. I don't what either. A nightmare. That would have been an absolute nightmare. Now, things got pretty desperate in Indianapolis, the fact that they went out and actually, I don't know if they were – saying to Andrew Luck, hey, please come back, please come back. I think maybe it was just an investigative call, but apparently they did reach out to him this at some point. Yeah. Yeah. To see if he would he would eventually come back, which I go back to Philip Dorsett, what he said about Andrew Luck and what he told us. And that was, mm, I don't think it's completely done. I'm like, what? No, he needs to be completely done. Now I don't mm. know contractually all that kind of stuff. I don't think Andrew Luck would would come back. But here's the last kicker for the Colts. What's been, well, through the first six games, it was our bugaboo. 
We couldn't do anything on, not first down, not second down, but third down. The Colts were zero, zero point zero for 14 on In, third down against the Patriots. Against the Patriots. Well, look, it's the maestro. Zero for 14. Bill Belichick, the master of ceremonies on defense because he's still the greatest defensive coordinator of all time. Right. And he looked at Ellinger, he looked at the Colts' offensive line, and he said, they're not getting anything. Essentially, Ellinger is a rookie. Essentially. Sure. Well, when he faced the rookie in this building last year, that rookie sliced him up. Yeah. Davis Mills went to work on him. I, so, Well, that you know what? That was a really fine day for a, a while. Yes. It really was for a while yeah. against that team. It was. You're right. But Davis Mills is better than Ellinger. All yeah, right? there's no doubt. Yeah, and yeah absolutely. You know, I know Davis is not having a good year this year. In fact, you look at the numbers versus last year, it's just not happening for him this year overall. But still, last year we saw what he did against the New England Patriots. I Ultimately, at the end of the game, the Patriots won that one, and they will win more often than not against an inexperienced quarterback. I mean, most teams will, but especially Bill Belichick. I'm now curious, I mean, super curious, to see how this – coaching hire goes in Indianapolis yeah well well here's the thing they're going to be after a quarterback and they're going to be after a coach mm -hmm. and you're right it is well worth watching because they still have a lot of talent on that team right they come back next year with a lot of the same talented guys they had a coach and a quarterback and I don't know who the coach is going to be because I can't even tell you the hot candidates right, right now where are they I don't know hmm yeah, you look around Gannon with the Eagles, who the Texans interviewed. He'll probably get a job next year. Let me present a scenario for you. Are you, you sitting know, down ready for this? Oh, are you going to go Alabama offensive coordinator <laughs> to Indianapolis? How does he Doesn't know? He and, don't How'd he you know what's going there? Wait a minute. He and Ballard like each other. There's some kind of connection They've known there. each other. Yeah, they've known oh, each other. Oh, here we go. I don't think it would happen. It's not going to happen. I, I mean, because I think Indianapolis is going to have to tank all the way the rest of the year. Oh, you're, talk you're talking about the quarterback-coach combo? Yeah. Do you think that – well, listen – Far be it for hey, me to be an listen, Alabama or you, SEC expert, but but what I'm seeing with O'Brien coaching oh, the look, offense and Bryce Young, I'm with you. it's not exactly humming I'm, along. I'm with you. I agree totally. But in this league, it's not, what does I say, it's not show friends, it's show business. Yeah. Well, in this league, <laughs> it's not about win friends, it's about win business. And whatever gets you to wins you put that aside. Think about Gary Kubiak. I don't, maybe, maybe Gary knew Wade Phillips. I don't know. But from the outside looking in, it felt like that was something that was either suggested to Gary or done and said, Gary, here, Wade Phillips, he needs to be your defense. I don't know. So I don't know how those two felt about each other, what they knew about each other, but they found a way to work together and make some magic, especially in 2011. Before the last game of the regular season in 2010, a lot of people thought Gary was going to get fired. Right. Wednesday practice at the bubble. Bum Phillips is there with Dan Pastorini and... I thought, okay, Wade Phillips is coming. Really? Get ready. Oh, yeah. As soon as I saw those two at practice, the final week of the regular season, a year of 2010, which, of 2010 the wow. Texans were having a bad year after having their first winning yeah, season. Yeah. We all know the defense, blah, blah, blah. But there they were, and I thought, Wade's coming. Get ready. Buckle up. The fact that the, that the Phillips brigade and the McNairs had bonded – and they were having lunch in the cafeteria yeah, afterwards. Yeah. And, I, you know, Pastorini's there. I didn't know with the hat. I did not know that. 
That's know. fantastic. A year later, they're in the playoffs, and Bump Phillips is walking out of the tunnel yeah, before that made the sense. game. That made perfect sense. A great moment. It made perfect sense. But yeah. point being, you find what makes you win. Now, I don't think the Colts are going to look at it and go, you know what we're missing? You know what we're missing? That. No, no I don't think they're no. gonna I don't think they're gonna get to that situation. But I am curious how Kevin O'Connell's success with the Minnesota Vikings plays into coaching hires. And think about but I know you're running out of guy you're running out of guys on the McVay tree. Kind of pretty soon they're gonna be getting the ball boy from the Rams of the 49ers. Well, like, oh, you uh, you've been the around these guys, off, you're head coach. Come on, come some on with us. The shine us. is off that tree right now with the way the Rams are playing. And the way McVay got it handed to him against the Bucs, I mean, they, that offense is really not doing much. However, I still think Sean McVay is a fantastic football coach. I'm not saying that McVay is the answer, but I'm, mm. I'm very curious how this one goes. There's also a coach, ooh, this would be interesting. There's also a coach that is in TV right now that is a hot commodity, and a lot of people thought he would go to Dallas, who used to be with the Saints. Yeah. I think he's going to Dallas, if anywhere. I think he would go to Dallas. After too. Dallas flames out in the playoffs, I think he can be an wait. opening. I think he can wait it out too and wait for that to happen because I think that will happen eventually. Would you go to Indy if you're Sean Payton? No way. No way. You're not, not going to Indianapolis. Payton, no. Not if you're Sean Payton. No, before unless you know, unless you know. I'm able to bring this quarterback with me, or I'm getting this quarterback Hang to go with me. There's no shot. He wants full control, and yeah, I, that, I would no, imagine a, Ballard does too. That's a that's a different ball game altogether. And yeah, he's not even going to Dallas unless he tells Jerry, "Listen, remember Bill Parcells and the kind of control you gave him to shop for the groceries? Yeah. I want the same thing." And it worked out great with Parcells because you went five and eleven for three a while, years in a row, did. and then you went to the well. He, Parcells turned that team into a relevant team again. Yeah, no, I mean from field. that standpoint, yeah, but that was not going to be a long. That was not going to be a long no, relationship. No. That was a microwave relationship. You know what I love about Bruce? that was not a that was not a a Belichick Patriots slow crockpot relationship. You know what I mean? You know what I love about Parcells though? He goes to Miami and doesn't coach. He just runs it. Yeah, and they win. Yeah, he turns oh, yeah. them into a winner. He's amazing. Yeah, but that's not going to happen. I mean, I don't mind dysfunction in the AFC South at all. Just hopefully it's not well, us. That's all. Well, I'll tell you who's not dysfunctional. The Titans, except they can't get their quarterback healthy. Other than that, that is a terrific organization that finds a way to win games. I know they lost last night, and I won't go moral victory here, but, man, they were toe-to-toe with the Chiefs at their place with a with an offense that couldn't move the football through the air one iota. Do you have more respect now, like I do, for Ryan Tannehill? I don't think Ryan Tannehill is the answer long-term for the Titans. I think you've really maxed out. You've gotten to the ceiling of Ryan Tannehill's skills. However... Watching Malik Willis and watching that game last night, I just kept thinking and kind of pining for the Titans. Like, man, if Tannehill was there, I think he would have made this throw. I think he would have made this decision. Yeah. I think these things would have been a little bit better. They don't have a true receiving threat without Traylon Burks out there. I mean, Robert Woods is a great number two. They need a true receiving threat, and they need Burks to evolve. However, I find myself thinking, man, if Tannehill were out there, I think I think they could have put up 24, and that would have won that game. Oh, yeah. Because that defense played that defense played its guts out. I mean, played its oh, guts out. They played forever, uh, too. I was watching some highlights up in my office after what you said yeah. earlier this morning about uh, Jeffrey Simmons and all yeah, those yeah. guys being gassed and playing oh. 90 plays or whatever on defense. And if you watch those end of game, toward the end of the game, offensive highlights for the Chiefs and just watch the Titans defenders, 
they are out of juice. Yeah, they have nothing the the left. And I don't blame them. They were out there way, way yeah. too long. And Vrabel knows that. But to answer your question, look, I have respect for Ryan Tannehill, but Same. seeing Malik Willis doesn't make me appreciate him more if I'm a Titans fan necessarily, right? Put another quarterback in there who's good because Malik Willis just isn't ready to go. He's no. not prepared no. to play in this league. He's just an unripe yet. banana right now. Just give it time. Right. And maybe it doesn't happen, but maybe it does. Maybe yep. it goes right to brown. You ever have those green bananas and the next day they're brown? You're thinking, where was the good part? Yeah. Gotta let, Some gotta guys let it are ripe. like that. I, he's got to ripen a little bit, but I think he's got. He'll show you, like I, like I said before, I've said this many times about him. He'll show flashes. Like the throw he made to Hooper going right to left. Yeah. A brilliant throw. But he couldn't get back to that. He just couldn't get back to that at that part in the game at all. Uh, and then the Chiefs had the ball for the, the the rest of the stinking game. And it wasn't like they dominated on the ground. It was Mahomes throwing it. Well, Mahomes for the most part, running it. Yeah, that too. He made he, some big plays with his legs last night, and I, that was a huge factor. Okay, I thought there was something that – no, I was not listening to the game. But I had it on. But they, I, I knew what they were showing. They showed a couple highlights of the Titans rushing from the edge. Yeah. And Mahomes getting up and out of the pocket. And they did it. The Titans did it two or three times. I wouldn't be surprised if that was the Titans' M.O. To force him one way and then play coverage. Because essentially, once he gets out of the pocket, it's half field, right? You yeah. take away the other half of the field. Because now he's on that half. He's scrambled out. I wouldn't be surprised if that was a that was... That was a ploy. That get him was, over to one side. Get him over to one side, and now he's just on one side of the field, and then you just push your coverage all to that side. You better have somebody chasing after him. No, I know. I mean, I understand it. I mean, but I think that's not a bad plan against mobile quarterbacks. Invite the in and the out, and then move your coverage all that way, and then pursue over to him, and I think they did a pretty good job with it. But I didn't hear what Collinsworth was saying. I, I, my guess was Collinsworth was trying to say, hey, the Titans are letting this happen, and they can't let that happen. I think the Titans were doing it on purpose because they pushed Mahomes towards the side. It's not a bad, it's not a bad MO to think about against mobile quarterbacks is to push him to one side of the field and then roll all your coverage over there. I didn't hear what he said, so he may have been saying exactly what I am, but I, that's what I would do against him. If I, and we, it felt like we were doing that against him in the divisional playoff round. But I don't know that we were doing it on purpose. <laughs> I don't think we were doing it on purpose. I felt like Frabel last night. I think that I felt like that defensive design was my purpose. But man, hats off to the Titans for that. And and you know me, I can't stand that that group. Oh, I cannot stand that team. I just and Vrabel can drive me crazy at times. But man, the way they played last night, that defense in particular, holy smokes. I hate it that they have seized control of this division. Uh, Not that I want to see uh, the Colts uh, up there. I'd rather uh, see the Texans up there. Yeah. But, uh, hey, the Jags won yesterday. How about that? Yeah, well, good for them. But the uh, Raiders are just I, – I look back at that game in Vegas, and I think they looked so different than they do in almost every other yeah. game I see them. That's three 17-point leads blown. Blown for them by the Raiders this year. This year, three 17 point leads blown. It's unbelievable. Mark, thank you very much. Thanks, Johnny. All right, let's get to our guy, Andre Ware, next, right here on Texans All Access.
Welcome back to this Monday edition of Texas All Access. I am John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter. It's time to catch up with our pal, game analyst, ESPN college football analyst, doing a great job on the Friday nights, our buddy Andre Ware. And for some reason, our segment with Dre kicked off with a discussion about music. This song by The Cure, which is, I forget what it's called, but um, Just Like Heaven. Thank you, Benny. Always puts me in a good mood. This and Earth, Wind, and Fire. Wait, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. And the OJs. The Cure puts you in a good mood? Or this just song, song by The okay. Cure. No, The Cure can have some really yeah, dark, yeah, yeah. sad stuff. But this song's a my happy song. My son loves The Cure. We get in yeah. the car. He doesn't like my music at all. Yeah. So it's like, Dick, I turn him into the Wait, whatever. what's your music? If uh, Your music should be that era, I mean, I, I, I like I like everything. And I say this and I, mm-hmm. I, I say this in Houston. I just don't like country music. Country music's not my thing. It's just not my thing. I like every, everything else. I like country music my when sweet I'm spot, My sweet spot is 90s hip-hop and R&B. Really? That's my sweet spot. Like Coolio? Fantastic yeah. Voyage? What? No, not, not, not totally. I like that because that's throwback stuff to the 70s soul to me. I mean, I'm talking like, uh, talking like Jodeci, Shy, Tevin Campbell. All my favorites. All right, yeah, let's, exactly. get, let's get Andre Ware in here, who I know loves... The Brothers Johnson and Strawberry Letter 23, or is it 22? I always forget, Dre. Which letter is it? It's, uh, it's 23, but in the, the lyrics, it says 22. So oh, that's a, what. hard song to understand because I don't know what <laughs> was being uh, consumed at the time when they made it. But uh, <laughs> there is something about the song. It's by far my favorite song of all time. Oh, Benny's gonna Benny's gonna pull it up. Brothers Johnson, Strawberry Letter, twenty two or twenty three, whatever it is, Benny, and he can play it in the background. It'll come a bit up twenty three, but what's yeah, your, it's t- title twenty three. Dre, what uh, what's your musical sweet spot? I mean, mine, like I said, was nineties hip hop R and B. That's when I was in college. That's what I love. What's your musical sweet spot? Well, it's, it's all over the place. It depends on the mood for me. Um, he's it's a, everything. He's eclectic. Because, yeah, it's it's because now it's all this, the uh, the current stuff because I'm trying to you know figure out what my son's listening to and he's very go. much into music. So it's it, I'm all over the place and I like country music. It has mm. a place for me. Country music has a place. When I was young, my grandmother, my great grandmother, used to play it to get me to go to sleep. And I mean, I know <laughs> that this is a slap in the face to some, but that's kind of what I use country music for it has a place for me it mellows me out and i'm not uh, talking this, about modern day country music it's the old stuff you know, not, so this, not, yeah country this, music nowadays it's, it's basically hip-hop or pop yeah it's pop yeah pop okay um, well you hear benny playing this yeah brothers johnson yeah. what did i just tell you that one of my favorites was in the 90s was tevin campbell he did this song oh he sampled i it? was like man that sounds familiar yeah i remember the tevin campbell song Oh, I see. Very nice. So, Jerry and I have something in common. Just like from a different artist. All right. Thanks, Benny. Uh, I don't think the Astros have a song, by the way. All right. So, Dre, before we talk all the pigskin, all the gridiron stuff, uh, your thoughts on what you saw on the Diamond Saturday night with the Astros winning the championship? Uh, Just extremely impressive in the manner in which they they played all season long and, and especially to close out. The Phillies, but the one thing I think that I I, uh, I get out of this, or the, the one thing that's more uh, sentimental to me, was just Dusty winning his first World Series that's after that's being involved in baseball for so long, a manager for 
25 years. Uh, oh, I mean, you could tell when you have a good coach, you know by how the players respond to him. And mm. every one of those guys, to a man, they love Dusty Baker. And that's irreplaceable. Uh, it's, it's something in the chemistry of a, foot, of, a, of a football team, of a basketball team, or in this case, a baseball team, that you can't replace it because it's going to win games for you uh, at certain times because of your love for the manager or the coach. And just to see the way it played out and to see the, the excitement they had for him once the game was clinched, that's priceless in my eyes. I, I thought – I think that's a great point, Andre. The initial celebration, the first mm-hmm. impulse yeah. is yeah. to celebrate with Dusty. That yeah. was the team in the dugout, and that was really <laughs> he special. He had to hold himself up by on, the net. Yeah, he was going to go down. It's yeah. on the <laughs> forefront of everybody's minds at that time. It's like – where is he? Where can I, you know, how can mm-hmm. I touch him? How can I congratulate him? How can I celebrate with him? It was all about Dusty. Uh, and, I mean, right after the final out. That was, to me, that's, that's storybook stuff. Drama, I'll ask both, both of you this. Finish, complete this sentence, fill in the blank. The Astros won this World Series because? Pitching. I'd say pitching and hitting, which is the game, but um, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, how about, the bullpen, how about pitching and clutch the hitting? Was, no. The bullpen was outstanding. Pitching. Yeah, yeah look at look at uh look at Presley. Look at Abreu. Like yeah. look at the Abreu ERA. was unbelievable. Look at the bullpen ERA. It's oh. sub one. I rest it's my crazy. case. It's crazy. <laughs> I mean that's it. Yeah. I mean, In an that, era that, where you're going you, you to them a lot. You've gotta have that to win baseball games. But you also got to have the bat working at times too. And what Jordan uh, did in the playoffs, did all basically all season long for this team was, I mean, it's it was unbelievable. So yeah, I mean, I would have to say both the pitching and then the hitting when when they needed it the most, the hitting showed up. You could the thing about the bullpen being so good, which I I love, and I, and I think about this in football too sometimes, especially with the Texans being where they are. I want to shrink the game. Can I shrink the game? Can I get to the first, the end of the first quarter, and it's still within distance? Like, okay, now I got to win a forty-five minute game, or I got to win a thirty-minute yeah. game. Now I got to win a fifteen-minute game. All you had to do was win a six-inning game. If you could win six innings, right. and you got to the seventh with a lead, it's done. It's over. Yeah. And if you Forget could say about that about it. your bullpen, you shrunk yeah. the game to six innings. That's all you had to do. And then if you came up with a clutch hit in any of those last three innings. You're golden, and that's yeah. exactly what they did. There are a lot of teams where you want to get to their bullpen. With the Astros, if you get to their bullpen, it's over if they have the lead. You're dead. You're dead. You're not coming back, and that's what happened to the Philadelphia Phillies and everybody else in their way. All right, Dre, so the Texans come close against the Eagles on Thursday night. Another fourth-quarter game. They're within four in the fourth quarter. It slips away. What are your thoughts as they're playing all these young guys, trying to get them some experience? They're competitive. They're just not able to get over the hump. Now, I feel like I've said that to you every single week of the season other than the Jacksonville game, which they won, but that's how it's been. Yeah, you, you got they've got to figure out a way to close out games or to win games. And the reason why I'm, I say that, and you're like, yeah, no joke, but you're, if you're playing as many as 10 rookies on the field 
at certain times on, on both the offense and the defense. And so you got a lot of guys doing it for the first time at a speed in which they're not used to. And so that's why games are, are getting, you know, getting away from them late. You're within four, and then all of a sudden, uh, by the end of the game, it's turned into something else. It's, it's you know, you haven't lived in that that's that speed yet and uh and how to how to play in it for 60 minutes and so it's going to be it's it's a uh i don't i know they don't want to use the word rebuilding or building or whatever it is anything with that word in it but guys have to build to a point where they know how to play within that speed for a certain amount of time and uh and it's not there yet it's it's impossible when you're playing that many rookies uh, for them to know it and know how to close out games. Dre asked this question of uh, John McClain earlier, and now that we've seen the Eagles up close, I mean, we saw the Bills last year, and the Bills have made some changes, but the Bills really struggled against the Jets, and congrats to former Texans assistant Robert Sala getting it done with the Jets. Big, big win yeah. for them in MetLife. So, knowing how this league is, and there's a bit of a roller coaster with the Bills. They didn't play great in Miami. They were actually 0-2 in the AFC East, or I have two losses. Their two losses are in the AFC East. Mm-hmm. If I gave you five bucks, because again, my budget continues to go down, you get to go to Vegas and put it on <laughs> the Eagles or the Bills to win it all. Which team would you put it on? Ooh, after seeing the Eagles up close and personal, it makes it tough, and I'm even more convinced that it'll probably be a Bills Eagles Super Bowl. Wow. Uh, I would still I would still put the put the money on the Bills uh because of just the grittiness of Josh Allen. Uh how the loss yesterday to the Jets just irks him to no end. And you watch what type of football he's gonna play going forward. It, you know, you could tell in this in the press conference after the game that he couldn't wait. He can't wait to get back to work. Yeah. Most guys are, hey, I got the day off. You know, I'll, I'll get back to it. He can't wait. I guarantee you he's in there today looking at the Jets game, what he could do to get better. And then he'll turn the page on it by Wednesday. But it's bothering him, and it's a good thing. And, you know, we've talked at, at, uh, at length about the depth of the Bills. It just goes to show you that in the NFL, no matter who it is, you can't just roll your helmet out there and think, oh, this one, we got this one today. Because you'll get, you'll get had at, at, uh, if, you, if you take that approach, which is, I think, what happened yesterday with the Bills and the Jets. Jets are an amazing story along with the Giants, who the Texans will see this coming Sunday, from a standpoint that the Jets don't even have their full roster. He's got a lot of guys that were, were out early. And they're still battling, which yep. tells me mm. there's really, really good uh, coaching and development going on while the season is happening. And so Jets are going to be they're going to be around for a while because they've got some really good, young, talented players that are, are starting to figure it out in a hurry. It's interesting how Sala and Mike McDaniel, McDaniel with the Dolphins, they're both doing really well right now. Both teams are six mm-hmm. and three. Mm-hmm. McDaniel, I didn't know what to make of that hire. I don't know if that was going to work or not. And, look, it's still early, but it's working pretty well so far. And I think Tua looks really comfortable with him, Andre. I think they, they've created an environment where, look, he's got all those weapons. But mentally, it just seems like, from afar, seems like he's very comfortable. We're going to see them Thanksgiving weekend in Miami. Yeah. Um, you know, when everyone else was ready to jump off the Tua bandwagon, I was like, wait a minute. 
Yeah. I, I've seen the guy up close and personal. This kid can play, and if if he can't play it, then you know play the position. Then I just give up on it because I know how talented arm talent is. How 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 uh, how he can throw the football. How accurate Tua is. How mobile he is. How much he loves the game. And you see him out on the field going through progressions and plays and stuff by himself before hours before a game is to take place on a Sunday. Uh, the kid loves the game. And the thing about what fans have to realize about uh, the position of quarterback is that you're only as good as what's around you, really what's in front of you. And if you can't protect him, if, certainly if you don't have skill position players around him that can help him, it doesn't matter how talented you are. Uh, you're going to look – the NFL has a way of being, you know, just humbling you at that position if you don't have the necessary stuff around you. And once they put it together around Tua and started to care a little bit about winning, then you see what you really have in Tua. And so now it doesn't surprise me what he's doing. It's just it surprised me that people took the attitude that he 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 couldn't play or you know it was all these scenarios of hey should we should we trade for Tua and you know this that and the other. Dang right you should if if you got a chance to get him because he's a hell of a player and I think everybody's now starting to see exactly that. Dre, you hinted at it. I don't know that you said exactly what I was going to ask you, so I'm going to ask you this. The players around Tua, Jalen mm-hmm. Waddle and Tyreek Tyreek Hill. <laughs> Absolute explosive dynamos. And we know the NFL is a, is a copycat league and the Chiefs felt right. like, "Eh, we don't need Tyreek. Patrick Mahomes will get us where we want to go. I think the Chiefs are not as good because Tyreek Hill's ability to run away from, run over, run around, run past is gone. And I think that really hurts them. I think we saw that last night against the Titans. Do you think teams as, and I don't know that you can do it, but do you think teams are going to try and emulate what they have with Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill with how easy they make the offense look because of how explosive they are? Absolutely. And I think Hardiman is who the Chiefs are trying to put in that role and uh, and use him in a, in a Tariq-type manner. But I, I honestly didn't think that chemistry-wise that would work out. Two smaller receivers kind of doing the same thing. And, you know, it, it, was, it would just kind of get – they'd get washed away at times during a game. But you're right. They're so explosive that when you just get them the football, look out. And you can get them the football in space. And to have two of them that can do that is amazing. And so, uh, yeah, I think everybody at some point is going to try to copycat them. But there's one problem. There's only one Tariq and there's only one uh, Waddle. That you know that players like that you're gonna you could search in the draft up and down from year to year and you won't get anything even close to them. So you can try to copycat them, but uh, I don't. I just don't know because you're talking football IQ that these two guys have. You're talking yeah. about a love and a passion yep. for the game. You might get two guys that can run, that are similar in terms of speed and but the quickness to change the direction. And then you 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 pour the, what I just described the mental side into the game that it's just not a track guy out there trying to survive. It's two football players that actually love doing the job. That's tough to emulate. It is super tough. I just don't think anybody's going to get that close to it. And yes, the chiefs miss it, 
because they're not as dynamic, not as explosive. They don't have a guy that constantly can take the top off, and then I can work the underneath stuff uh, with Kelsey. They're getting it done just in a different manner, kind of a patchwork-type way. But, uh, yeah, they they missed Tariq Hill. There's no doubt about it. Dre, Brady had a moment yesterday. He came back against the Rams. They got it done. Mm. It was really interesting to see, and I was making the point earlier. Just give him a little time. He needs a little time instead of this uh, massive rush up the middle, whatever he's been facing from time to time this year. But he still got it. They had a lot of drops yesterday, too. I'm just wondering how long it's going to last. Then I look at Aaron Rodgers as well. I think when those two guys go – Look, we got a lot of good young quarterbacks. You got Mahomes, you got Lamar Jackson out there. I know somebody's coming back in Cleveland. I get that. But it just feels like the era will really be over. And it was such a good era for quarterbacking. And you're just hoping the next one is as good. I know it'll be different, but you're hoping it's as good. Yeah, I think the era of drop back passers are that that window's closing. And those are two of the better ones to ever, and I mean ever do it, Brady and, and Aaron Rodgers. When you look, uh, who lost to the Lions, by the way. Yeah, I wonder yeah. when the last time that actually has happened. I'll have to go back and take a look at that. But when, you know, I watched some of that, that uh, Tampa game against the Rams, and, you know, what surprises me is the amount of guys on the sideline that are hurt for Tampa Bay, yet we're criticizing Brady. I just spent five minutes talking about what's important around a, a quarterback. Yep. And if you got you – know, if they flash to the sideline once and he's got a couple of offensive linemen in street clothes, well, you know, that, those are starters that would be playing. You've got uh, key skill position players, and yet they're finding ways to be competitive and stay in games in spite of what's not there. Imagine what Tampa's going to be like if they're able to heal up and make a run the second half of the season. Because uh, he's still – he's still Brady. We talked about, oh, is he done? Are we ready to – throw dirt on him, this, that, and that. I'm like, wait a minute. Every time I've heard this conversation, the guy comes back uh, the next week, and it's like, oh, yeah, let's leave him alone. He is not ready to, to go quite yet. And yesterday, I think he proved it, that he's not ready to go. Once they get some pieces back, look out. Tampa's going to be dangerous again. You bring up a great point, Trey, because last year in the regular season, the Tampa Bay offensive linemen Played nine, the five that you would expect to start started ninety percent right. of the snaps, but that's when they huge. got to the, when they got to the divisional playoff round, that's when Tristan Wirfs got hurt, mm-hmm. and that is what really cost them against the Rams. He didn't have those pieces, and here's the thing: because the NFC South stinks, they just have to get there. Yep, and and yeah. they can just muddle their way through it get a few guys healthy near the end of the year, and all of a sudden, oh yeah, by the way, in twenty twenty. When the Bucks won a championship, guess where they won their first three playoff games? On the road, on the road, on the road. Yeah, against so good you teams. Just gotta, you just have to get them there. And good quarterbacks. Yeah. And this, this plays into my point about the Eagles because the Texans did spend a lot of time in that Philadelphia backfield on Sunday. And I thought, hmm, that's notable when you face, you know, Vita Vea, some of these other dudes who could possibly get there in a playoff situation. That's going to be worth monitoring for sure. Dre, that, uh, that Kyle, does. Oh, go ahead. That does worry you. Sorry, Mark. When when you look at the Eagles early in the game, there was a tremendous amount of pressure. Jerry Hughes had two sacks uh, against mm-hmm. the Eagles the other day, and you know we're, we're talking some teams that have got a Jerry Hughes plus a couple right. of more dudes. So mm-hmm. uh, that that worries me a little bit. Just how close they were getting to uh, to Jalen Hurts in terms of 
their ability to navigate uh, through the playoffs and and uh, and actually make a legitimate Super Bowl run. But the schedule sets up perfectly for uh, for Philadelphia going forward. That's always some fun stuff with Andre Ware coming up. Let's go around the NFL very quickly, two minute drill style, right here on Texas All Access. Welcome back to this Monday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I am your host, John Harris, football analyst. Let's fly around the NFL. Chargers beat the Falcons in Atlanta. Last second field goal by Cameron Dicker, the kicker, gets it done. Chargers move to five and three. Dolphins outlasted the Bears, even though Justin Fields ran for 178 yards. Dolphins win 35-32. They stay hot. With Tua Tonga Vailoa quarterback. Bengals bounce back. They beat the Panthers by three touchdowns. Joe Mixon, five tutties. Lions beat the Packers. Aaron Rodgers looked awful. Lions move to two and six. Jets beat the Bills. They frustrated Josh Allen. Now Josh Allen is hurt. Keep an eye on that if he's on your fantasy team. The Jets knocking off some AFC heavies this year. The Vikings with a last-minute field goal to beat the Commanders 20-17 in Washington. Kirk Cousins wore no shirt and a lot of ice on the way home. The Jags came from behind 17-0 to come back and win 27-20 over the Raiders. That's three 17-point-blown leads for the Raiders this year. The Seahawks continue to amaze. Young talent mixed with Geno Smith. Win by 10 in Arizona. Things are not good in Cardinal land. Down in Tampa, the Bucks get a last-second win. Tom Brady to rookie. Cade Otten, 16-13. They beat the Rams as the Bucks move to the top of the NFC South. And then the Chiefs win in overtime. Harrison Butker's field goal wins it 20-17, to and that's your show. Appreciate y'all for being here. See you next time, and as always, go Texans.